0: Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Patanus Defense. Patanus, masters of darkness. Patanus is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the fatana 16 millimeter filmless 4g image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18 millimeter image intensifier tubes these ultra light ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image best resolution smallest most transparent halo and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available the PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M, 16 millimeter monocular, the PD Pro B, 16 millimeter binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system, Patanas Defense, masters of darkness. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.alafarm.com. I'm your host, Joe Bayer, here today with Clint Flowers and Butch Theory. Guys, today we're going to be talking about something that's really important. It gets folks into a lot of trouble, ends a lot of hunts every year. It's something that, you know, as far as we've come with gear and technology, it still seems like people complain about getting cold. And there's like not one universal uh, truth when it comes to staying warm. We're really going to dive deep into that today clint what's the coldest you've ever been
1: kansas we were there to deer hunt but the wind disagreed and it was very very cold i was not prepared and sitting inside of a, a, a tree in a lock on in a 30 mile an hour straight line wind and i'm going i am too big of a boy to be sitting in this
2: tree on this kind of day what about you butch uh illinois negative 21 frozen <laughs> to the tree knocking ice off my boat cold that's <laughs> by far the coldest i've ever
0: been man you know it's funny you you talk to folks and the coldest I've ever been was not the coldest temperatures I've ever been in. The coldest I've ever been is in South Alabama and I've hunted in some nasty, nasty stuff like with both what you were talking about out West, but I was a lot more prepared for it when I went out there and I've gotten myself into a jam, not having what I needed right here close to home. Today, we're going to dive into understanding how every layer functions in a system, really what they're doing, why you need them the role they serve, and how you can truly build yourself a system or build a system for anyone, regardless of the pursuit, regardless of the temperature, that's going to keep you comfortable in the field. To do that today, we're talking with John Barclow of Sitka. John, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your role at Sika
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. So I've been at Sika eight years, and I started out as the big game product manager. So what does that mean? It means that I was able to work with our designers and developers to basically build all the Sika gear for big game, we'll call it Western hunting, you've seen over the last eight years. Uh, And then that role has kind of evolved to where I'm now the senior product manager for all of hunting. So we have people like me representing different categories, waterfowl and whitetail. uh, But now I kind of oversee it all as well, so that we can all kind of march to the to the same uh drum and 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 move in the same direction. So, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing at Sika for the last 8 years and I love it.
2: Yeah, uh, props to you guys. I love you. I love the products. I have a lot of the, a lot of the stuff and man, it's it's really great stuff. I was um doing some research a little bit before we got jumped on about you and your role there at Sika. Tell us a little bit about um kind of how you got to where you are, a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah. So, I spent 26 years in the Navy. 20 of that was on active duty and then 6 additional years still with the same unit I was with, uh, started out as a Navy diver and then got involved with the SEAL teams through the through the diving aspect. And then just through some odd twists of fate and some things I was doing on the side, trying to get my professional mountain guide qualifications, maybe I was going to get out of the Navy. Naval Special Warfare saw that I, I had something additional to offer them. None of us knowing that in 2001, we'd be going to Afghanistan So, yeah, so I was able to, you know, the second half of my career work for Naval Special Warfare teaching in Alaska at their cold weather training facility and kind of became one of these subject matter experts. The cool thing and and the way that I was able to transition that into my my current civilian job at Sitka was when 9-11 happened, none of the gear clothing equipment tactics procedures none of that existed anymore to go to Afghanistan that that had died with the cold war so to speak with russia and so we were immediately thrust into this this predicament where luckily i was able to work with some of the best companies and designers and learn that side of the of the trade of building product but not only did we get to build the product but then we got to use the product And then further, we got to teach how to use those things. And so it it created this really unique feedback loop where we were building it, testing it, teaching it, going out with the guys and using it, and then coming back and reiterating on that. So it was a really fast-paced, dynamic time, but it it set the course for the rest of my, uh, my career. Man,
2: that's cool. Very Thank cool. you for your service.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you for your service. You know, you you've got experience in Alaska, you got experience in Afghanistan. I mean, you deal with a lot of cold temperatures in those places, but yeah, I tell you, it gets cold in Alabama too. Absolutely. Yeah. And really cold is cold. I've been cold in all kinds of places. And <laughs> when you're cold, it can start to affect your performance. And I'm sure, you know, we're we're out there hunting at the end of the day. If it if we don't if we're unsuccessful, we go back to the camp and, and warm up, you know, for our guys overseas, like they can't take that risk of not being successful. So I know y'all put a lot of thought into this and making sure that this does not affect performance. And that's really what we want to talk about today. So when we talk about cold, I really want to talk about like felt cold, you know, so I've hunted in South Dakota in a polar vortex where we had, you know, negative temps and, and even lower negative wind chills. And i tell you, I've gotten a lot colder in Alabama hunting in, you know, the 20s with uh, 80% humidity sitting still. So for the purposes of today, I really want to focus on the temperatures and maybe the combination of temperature, humidity, and wind that starts to have an effect on performance. There's nothing worse than getting out to a spot you want to hunt and then you can't sit still, you can't sit for a long time because you're cold or... You got your kids. You're trying to get them into it, and they're unable to have a good time because they're cold. So that's really where I want to try to focus things today. Do you feel like we're to, we're talking about layering? But what's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of layering? Is it just wearing coveralls that are insulated? I mean, why do you always hear that? Yeah,
3: I think you know, back in the day, say when when I was a kid, kind of growing up, and and even in the very beginning of the military, you know, this concept of layering. In the hunting community is is still relatively new, but from the, we'll call it the general outdoor community, climbing, skiing, et cetera, it's been around a little bit longer. But it, it used to be that, you're correct, if we were going out to, say, sit in a deer stand, and I still have it actually from my youth, it's one of my, my uh, most cherished things, but it's a one-piece insulated coverall. And so mm-hmm. that's what you would do. You would put some type of long john or base layer on, what we call base layer today, and then you would put this really insulated coverall on and maybe a, you know, a, a beanie and some gloves. And then if it got colder, oftentimes you would either go to a thicker insulated coverall or then you would start to add pieces underneath. The, the whole point of layering is really about versatility. It's about being able to adapt to the environment As things change so either as you walk in in the pre-dawn and then in the middle of the day and then as temps cool off in the evening you'd be able to adapt a layering system add or subtract clothing to kind of meet those weather demands whereas when you're not layering and you're going with that one piece it's kind of all or nothing I either put it on and I'm either warm or maybe too warm or I'm cold. And so there's no in between. And so the whole point of layering is to build a system that has versatility and allows you to adapt to changing environments. And it's one thing when you go out and say hunt for the day, when you know you're going to be out for eight or 10 or 12 hours, but that same concept absolutely applies and is even more important when you're going out for multiple days and you don't have the option to come back and you're trying to kind of build to a
0: forecast that we all know is
3: is never correct <laughs> right, you absolutely. never know right. if that's
2: going to be
0: right when i think about what you're talking about i think we all probably grew up and started out that way i wore a big suit forever i had the yeah. big suit cotton everything froze my butt off as a child i mean i can remember oh, yeah. just being so cold but you did your best and many times having to go back sit in the truck warm up then go back out to the stand you know because this is all you could do yeah. And yeah. you talk about like, all right, so you got your coveralls on and then you're like, oh man, it's cold. Let's let me throw a sweater on underneath and let me put on two pair of jeans underneath this, you know, and the problem I always had with that was you start to get bunched up. Stuff gets bunched up. You don't, you restrict your movement. You would never have been able to bow hunt, you know, and, nah. and that kind of stuff. And even still, you know, it's uncomfortable. And and, and I, I think that that was one of the disadvantages can be a disadvantage of layering is like all those layers, just more opportunities for to Bunch in the wrong places. Um, you know, you well, need socks a... too. I used to think I needed two big pair of socks. Yeah. My,
2: my feet would go numb and or sweat and then get wet and then I'd be freezing. I'd have ice blocks for feet.
1: Right. No, you got to go with the church socks with the wool over the top. Everybody. That's socks. right. That's come right. on, Bunch.
0: <laughs> so, are there any other disadvantages to it besides the the bulk that can be added with layering? There's really no. I don't see any
3: disadvantage to layering. I think what what the the hunting industry's done now is we're purposely building these clothing pieces as a layering system. Mm-hmm. So as example, a base layer is intended to fit a little more snug or form fit to move moisture, whereas when you get to those more insulated pieces that are outerwear, you know, at least at Sika we build them to be a little more roomy with the intent that you would layer underneath them. So years ago in Missouri, two navy buddies and I had a lease in Northern Missouri and so for whitetails and the first year I wasn't working with Sitka but obviously I'd had my my background from the military and so I was wearing Sitka and I was able to sit in the deer stand all day every day and eventually kill the deer sometime the afternoon to say day nine something like that whereas my friends were able to only sit for a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the evening and You know, every day it seemed like they came out and they were wearing more clothes, kind of like what we're talking about, where you start to become bulky. You can't draw your bow. You can't climb a tree stand. You can barely walk to the stand. And, you know, we were joking and they were saying, listen, we know you're not tougher than us. So how are you able to do it? And I said, you're right. I'm not tougher than you, but I am smarter. (laughs) And so, you know, what I bet by that, they had never understood or been aware of or around a modern day Technical clothing system, and so they said, "How were you able to wear fewer layers than us, but stay out there longer than us, and be more comfortable, and then still be able to, you know, draw your bow, shoot, etc.? And so that's when I started introducing them to to this concept of layering. and And it's it's oftentimes difficult when people are kind of newly exposed to this because it doesn't seem like it would necessarily work. That say five layers could theoretically be warmer than eight or nine layers, but it's the proper application of those layers. And so each layer kind of has its, its own unique part to play in the system. And then really after you do that, I like to say there's no right or wrong. So as an example, the four of us could be wearing completely different things on the same day hunting deer none of us are wrong as long as it's working for us. So one of us may choose to say where I talk about, I talk a lot about the eight piece clothing system and we can circle back on that. But one of us may choose to wear all eight pieces and a couple of us may be wearing four or five pieces. But as long as it works for us on that given day in those environmental conditions, it's not wrong. But when people start you know, packing jeans on top of each other and sweaters on top of sweaters and it's really not built that way, You start to restrict blood flow, so that's going to make people cold. You start to cut down on range of motion, so that's going to make you ineffective. And ultimately, it's not going to keep you in the field very long. So, uh, you know, there's a few principles to the system that I think people have to stick to. And then it's just kind of, I like to call it shooter's choice after
2: that. Yeah, that's a great point. As far as other, you know, people being different as well. I'm a, I'm an extremely, extremely hot person. Right. I'll be, uh, you know, pretty much in board shorts. My wife's got three or four layers on the top and the bottom, and I'm sweating and she's freezing.
1: He means
0: temperature,
2: right? Right?
0: Yeah. Right? We, we, all knew, Clint. For for I'm just, the folks just that can't see for... what's here, you know, like yeah. he meant right. temperature. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So going back to that a little bit, John. You know, you hear all the different fabrics. I would assume that fabric is very important in this. And just thinking about base layers in general, what's your ideal fabric? You know, you hear about all the stuff about moisture wicking, you know, you know, I don't I don't want it to be itchy on my skin. What's the ideal fabric for that base layer?
3: And does it vary? Yeah. So specifically for base layers, there's essentially two choices. You have, we'll call it synthetic. That's almost exclusively a polyester. And then you have wool and there's various lots of different types of, or qualities of wool, but really it's synthetic or wool. Synthetic is going to breathe well, dry quickly, be a little more durable and a little less expensive, but depending on the application and the person, it's going to stink or hold odor, body odor, more quickly than wool. So if you're whitetail hunting, obviously you want to stay as scent-free as possible. If you're out multiple days, sleeping in a tent with your buddy, None of you want to stink. Merino wool, on the other hand, has a natural antimicrobial property to it. So it's not going to create that bacteria growth that's going to cause body odor. So it's going to be, for the most part, most people are not going to stink when they wear it. Wool has the ability to generate a little heat, we'll call it, if it's damp. But it's going to stay damp longer than a synthetic. So I personally don't like the feeling of kind of that clammy feeling and and steaming myself dry. I'd rather kind of dry quickly with a synthetic. Wool is going to be a little less durable and a little more expensive, but it's really a trade-off. I don't think you could go wrong wearing either. It really comes down to personal preference and application.
0: I'm glad you brought both of those up because that's something that over the years, I've started to go west more to do more hunting. And when I go west, you know, like Merino for me is key because of what you're exactly what you're describing. If you're hunting five days in a row and you're not really going to have access to daily showers and things like that, like Merino was great because of what you described. Whereas in the whitetail woods back home, I always felt like, hey, I can get away with synthetics, no problem. Because at the end of the day, I can come back, change. I've got multiple layers. If I want to have five base layers back at camp, I can because I'm not limited by the amount I can carry in. And so I kind of liked having both. A little well, bit not, further
2: west, I would assume that you're staying a little drier as well. The humidity is not as, you know, you're probably not sweating. that.
0: I've loved it out west. And usually you're more, some more active hunting. And I have found that Merino, for whatever reason, just keeps me from, you know, chafing and doing a lot of the things that happen when you're hiking a lot. Um, it's so got a really
3: broad, Merino generally has a very broad temperature range that it's yeah. that it's comfortable in. So you can take it. To kind of warmer temps with that lightweight base layer and wear it, say, as an outerwear chasing antelope in August. But then that becomes obviously, it's a base layer, becomes a foundation of a system, even in the coldest temperatures. It's still doing the same thing, but it's got a broad temperature range for the vast majority of people.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because as we go through the different types of layers you need, I've I've often found it's like, well, sometimes I wear my base layer as outerwear. And sometimes I wear my mid layers as outerwear and and I wear outerwear as mid layers. So I want to dive deep into that. And I'm glad you brought up too the durability of Merino. That is one thing that's been the trade-off for me is that I've got synthetic base layers that I've been wearing for years and years and years and years, but I've got Merino that's tattered, you know, uh, it just doesn't wear as well. I don't think. Yeah. So you mentioned base layers and that's something that to me has come, it almost seems like that's come the farthest of anything in terms of layers, because of that, going back to the old waffle knit, cotton, long, long jobs, gone. you know, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know why we wore those. I don't feel like they helped at all, but, um, <laughs> you know, going up from there, what are the different layers in a system that we need to be, that we need to understand? And then what's each layer's function? Awesome question. I'm glad you brought this
3: up. So the base layer, I think one, it's gotten more, we'll call it publicity that brands like Sitka and, and and some others, even in the outdoor space, we build, we invest, we research base layers and textiles and, and try to make the best we can. And the reason is because a base layer is really the foundation of any clothing system. So think about it as the foundation of your house. If you build a poor foundation, the house is eventually gonna crumble. If you, we talked about synthetic and wool, if you put cotton as your base layer, No matter what technical clothing you put on top of it that technical clothing is not going to perform that system is not going to perform if that foundational base layer is not what it needs to be so the base layer is super important and really the whole intent of the base layer is to manage moisture so what do i mean by that when we're sweating when we create sweat from walking from hiking whatever the case may be we want that base layer to pull that moisture off our skin as quickly as possible. Two reasons, in the cold, when it moves that moisture off our skin, we can stay dry and warm. When we're dry, we're warm. In hot weather, as the base layer pulls moisture off our skin and say we're wearing that as our outerwear, that movement of moisture away from our skin is also pulling heat, so it's cooling us down. In cold weather, we're gonna have insulation on top of that base layer, so we wanna move that moisture to stay dry in hot weather, we wanna stay cool. So that's, that's what the base layer does. Then within an, what I call the AP system is really a few different layers. So we have a base layer, then we have what I call, we have a mid layer here. I call them insulations, but I break insulation down into two things. I call it active insulation. So some people may call that mid layer and I call it static insulation. So active insulation is something that you put on in cold weather, when you need to add additional warmth while you're moving, but you also need that insulation to breathe. So you're hiking up a ridge, it's cold out. I can't get away with just wearing a base layer, but if I put my puffy jacket on, I'm going to overheat. This is what active insulation is. The most basic form of active insulation is what we would call grid fleece nowadays, or heavyweight fleece, or even a heavyweight wool, something like that. Where there's no membrane, it'll it'll trap some body heat, but it'll also let moisture and heat escape. That's active insulation. That's critically important. Then we have something that's not often talked about, but I call it the wind barrier. This can be worn a lot of different ways. It can be worn as a mid layer, it can be worn as an outerwear, but think about how we build our homes where we have insulation, and then oftentimes we have some type of wind barrier Then we have the exterior shingles, siding, et cetera. All we're trying to do when we're building a house or building a clothing system is to provide layers or baffles so that we can moderate the body heat escaping from us and use it to our advantage. We can either dump it quick or we can hold it to be stingy with that body heat. In cold weather, we wanna be super stingy with that body heat, we don't want it to escape. In hot weather, we wanna give it up. So just a super thin wind barrier, oftentimes, when we go back to the analogy or the, the story about my buddies hunting in Missouri, and they're super bulky, oftentimes something just as simple as a wind shirt or a windstopper jacket that doesn't provide really any bulk is enough to stop convective heat loss. And so when you think about, I tell people when you think about how to counter the weather or the, the environment to stay warm or to cool off, think about how the body loses heat. So we lose heat from a couple different ways. We radiate heat, so our body is this internal engine that creates heat and it radiates away from our body. So if we can trap that from radiating away, say with a windstopper layer, that helps. Anytime there's wind blowing against us, we can lose heat through convection. Anytime we sit down on something cold, we lose heat from conduction. So we want to be able to try to counter these forces. So anyways, we have a mid-layer, we have active insulation, we have some type of wind barrier. Then we have static insulation. Static insulation is what people often refer to nowadays as the puffy jacket. For a whitetail hunter, there can be whole puffy suits. But really what static insulation is, is it is something that creates loft. So oftentimes this can be down or synthetic. So there's two different kinds. There's pros and cons to each. But essentially what it does is it creates this dead air space within the garment. As our body heat radiates away from our body, it gets trapped within that insulation of the jacket. Just like the heat from our house, we get trapped in the insulation in the walls of our home. And then it would stay there and it'll slowly escape. But we've... We're generating more body heat so that there's kind of like this give and take, give and take. Static insulation is super critical for sitting in a tree stand. It's super critical for sitting behind a piece of glass, you know, glassing a, a ridge. Static insulation is the same thing we would put in a sleeping bag so that we can stay warm at night. So that's critical. And then we get to finally the outerwear. Outerwear can be a lot of different things. Outerwear can be an insulated Windstopper garment for the whitetail hunter. Outerwear can be rain gear for the Western big game hunter. Um, Really what outerwear is intended to do is stop moisture from coming from the outside in or stop wind from coming from the outside in. So you kind of have five layers there. You can break it into eight different pieces. And that creates a system that allows you to mix and match. So hot weather, I may just wear a base layer. A little bit cooler, I may wear a base layer and a mid layer. Uh, When I stop, I may put on a static insulation piece, right? I mean, and you just constantly have these pieces. And out of, say, eight pieces, depending on what you're doing, you're probably wearing four or five of them at any, any given time. So you're really not carrying a lot extra. And then all four of us could sit there and moderate our temperature based on the day, the environment, our physiology, oftentimes what we eat, how hydrated we are, all these things come into play. And that's why there's no perfect answer. It's like, here's the basic tenets of the system, versatility, adaptability. Here's how we lose body heat. You know how to counter that. Here's your eight pieces. Now go forth and prosper and and just be able to, uh, you know, build from there.
1: And I've noticed through the years, I'm like Joe, I've traveled and hunted a lot of the you know, at home, oftentimes, the only thing I'm wearing is the base layer, like a Fanatic hoodie or something like that, but on some of the other pieces that are a little bit more, I'd call them mid-range, that you're going to wear a base layer with them in cooler days, but nothing on the warmer days. I've noticed, I guess, you, I call them vents. You know, the, the, you look at first, you go, oh, it's got extra pockets. Well, those aren't pockets, they're vents. So when you've got that on these pieces, I mean, what's the proper way to use that to uh, to your advantage? So to me... A modern technical clothing system,
3: the entire purpose of it is to manage moisture and regulate body heat. So we've talked, I think, about the regulate the body heat. Let's talk about the managing moisture. So the selection of the materials that we use, that other people use, we don't want them to absorb moisture or water or not very much. And if they do, we want them to dry incredibly quick. So if we can stay dry in the field, we'll be warm. We'll be safe. So going back to my, my life in the military, being in the Navy, we were always working around water. The reality was we were going to get wet no matter what. We were going to get wet from the ocean, a river crossing, snow, rain, whatever. What was important, or, or even hiking, right, internally generated. But what was important is we could dry incredibly quick. So that's the moisture management part. When you So that's that's a big part of breathability, ventilation. But sometimes you don't have the luxury of being able to stop or take a layer off to put another layer on or whatever the case may be. And that's where vents come in. And I, I love that you use the example of pockets. So pockets are vents. You can unzip a pocket. Um, some of our products I've created have mesh hand pockets or mesh cargo pockets. So you could unzip them and they're automatically a vent. Pit zips are another one. So you're moving, you're generating heat. We wanna to get to the top of a ridge, we're chasing sunrise, you wanna glass that mule deer, we're gonna just open up the pit zips, dump the heat. You know, Maybe we dressed a little bit too warm for the occasion or we had to move a little bit quicker. You wanna dump that heat. You wanna manage that moisture. You wanna manage that body temperature. But we also know that if we do get a little sweated up, that the materials we chose are going to dry incredibly fast. And so even if we are a little damp, we're going to dry quick and be comfortable over time. But it's this constant adaptation to the environment and the activity, and ventilation is a huge part of that. The materials we choose are a huge part of that. How many clothes we put on is a huge part of that. Our pace, right, things we can regulate on our own, a lot of that, you know, we we can manage. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how we're doing it, not just with ventilation, but also with materials, and then how many layers you can put on top of each other or take off to kind of manage that whole breathability ventilation aspect.
0: That example, that example of the vents, you know, being able to dump heat. Last month, I was out in Montana and we were hunting antelope. The wind was blowing like crazy. I mean, it was 30 to 60 miles an hour the whole week. And the way we were hunting was riding around on a UTV, glassing. And then when we'd find animals we wanted to stalk, we'd make the stalk. Riding around on that UTV, it was cold, you know, because you're dealing with the wind. You're sitting still. You're not doing anything. I'm layered up, right? I've got all this material on, trying to stay warm. You get out in your glass and you're still, it's still cold. Wind's blowing. You're cold from the ride. But then as soon as you start hiking out to try to make that stalk, I mean, you immediately uh, start warming up. And that was one of the things that I really noticed out there is like, man, okay, like, hey, telling my buddy, hey, take a, let's take a break. I take my pack off. Take my layers off, stuff them in the pack, and it was annoying. I would have to stop the stalk, take a layer off, just so I could be not sweating. And I didn't have those pit zips, and I didn't have the the, the ability to dump that heat. And that would be a great way to combat the disadvantage of being being hot and trapping that heat. So there was, they can be trapping that heat was an advantage on that cold buggy ride, but it was a disadvantage when I'm hiking. Yeah, that example. Uh, is something that, you, you know, our listeners could look for in layers, especially those outerwear layers is you want, you're going to want to be able to dump heat from time to time, make sure you've got that ability to do that. When you start to think about the other layers, and maybe it's bulk in certain areas, like I can't remember the last time that my calves got cold, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. never my calves. Uh yeah, um, so. right. What else can we look for in layers? You did a great job of explaining what they are in each each one's function, but what else can we look for in the clothing itself, the design to combat some of these changes, besides the, the zips, for example? Most high-end companies today are they're building a holistic
3: system. So as an example, when I'm trying to build a new, we just came out with something called the ambient, right? The ambient hoodie and the ambient jacket. It's an active insulation piece. It's kind of a hybrid it's very adaptable to the environment it blocks a little wind it traps a little heat but it it'll also breathe really well when that technology came to us i didn't say oh wow we could put it in this great new jacket i said wow we could put it in this great new jacket but how does that integrate into a system to really provide a huge benefit to the consumer so as an example if if we said, wow, this is great, but it really doesn't fit into a system, then I think you have to say either is it worth it or do we need to create the other layers within the system to, to, for this to integrate with? Because if yeah. you look at any one piece of a layering system in isolation, sometimes it doesn't make sense or sometimes it's not the best choice. But when you look at it as a system and what you're gonna wear, that's where you really start to to see the benefit. So I'm just trying to answer your question completely. So there's there's fit, there's not putting zippers on top of other zippers if you can help it, there's putting ventilation at the proper layer where most people would wear it. There's, there's a lot of things you can do. There's selection of textiles, weights of material. There's a lot of things. Ultimately, because I, you know, I know what I wear, and, and obviously you guys have your own system, but when you're trying to to create layers, and I think this is where overall the industry, just as a, as a general statement, probably hasn't done the best for the consumer, is really trying to educate just through like a podcast like this, educating the consumer on a layering system and how to get the most bang for their buck. Because let's be honest, none of this gear is inexpensive anymore. And so we want to make sure that the pieces we're selecting are going to work together, holistically to help us kind of achieve this, you know, whatever end it is, right? Be, be whatever type of hunting, wherever it, that hunting may take you, that's really what we're trying to do is just like in the military, you you said it earlier, when we went out, we didn't have the ability to turn around and go home when we got cold, wet, or tired. Right. But the hunter is also spending time away from family, money, vacation days, right? This is what we love to do. Yeah, it's not as dire circumstance, but we don't want to leave the field either. I I like to say I want to leave the mountains on my terms, not mother nature's. And so that's what these clothing systems should be able to do for us. Oh, if I get a little wet, I know I can dry. Oh, if I get a little hot, I know I can cool off. Oh, I know if I get cold, I can warm up. And having that confidence is going to allow us to be more
0: effective in the field and hopefully you know, find more success while we're hunting. All right. That's a good spot to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to be finishing up the conversation on everything you need to be thinking about when it comes to layering for cold weather. Y'all check out some of our show sponsors, Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you hunt or fish in Alabama or the Deep South, you know that it's different down here. Spawning seasons, patterns, and food sources are not the same as other areas of the country. At Great Days Outdoors magazine, southern outdoor riders pick the brains of the best southern hunters and anglers to give you the best how-to, where-to, and when-to articles along with so much more. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports and Outdoors, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. John, I like what you're saying there about really making sure that each piece is built into a system. I find myself doing that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I go out west and I do a hunt out there and I need a certain, I need certain system out there. And I come back home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my stuff that I got for my Western hunt. And I'm going to go sit in a tree stand hunt a whitetail. And I've had mixed results doing that. I fall into this trap with just about everything, whether it's boats or guns, or I want that one thing that can do it all, right? Like I want the gun that is, you know, short overall length, light, but can also shoot, you know, super far. And a lot of times you just, you need two guns. When it comes to layering systems, Do you think there's a layering system out there that can do it all? You guys build systems, obviously, you know, just looking at the website, you got your whitetail system and your waterfowl system and your, you know, but like a guy like me, I I like to do everything. I do uh, a a waterfowl, a whitetail, try to go West as much as I can. Do you think there's a system out there? Is there a method there that people could use to have one system do it? Or do you, do you build those systems? Because you need multiple systems for different environments. Yeah, that's a great question. The the, the short answer is no. I don't think there's any
3: one system. But what I will tell you is that the system we're talking about, base layer, mid layer, you know, static insulation, wind barrier, outerwear, there are absolutely pieces within those systems that should transcend no matter what you're doing. So we've already talked about base layer. I think an active insulated mid layer is, is absolutely one of those universal pieces. So, and again, everybody's going to be different depending on the hunting discipline and where they do it. But what I like to tell folks is like, as a big game Western hunter, I, I believe in an eight piece clothing system for a Midwest whitetail hunter. I think you can invest in an eight piece clothing system, same with a waterfowl hunter, but, Within those eight pieces across three systems, I'll bet you there's four, maybe five, depending on what you're doing, that will transcend no matter what you're doing, will transcend those disciplines. Where I really think it starts to break to more specialized pieces is when you get to the outerwear. So as an example, when I'm Western big game hunting, my puffy jacket and my rain gear are probably going to be too loud or noisy or or bulky for climbing into the tree stand. So I may choose to take those two or three pieces, put them aside and choose, you know, the static insulate, let's just say a fanatic system, right? Which has wind stopper and static insulation in it. I'm going to take those two pieces, pull the puffy and brain jacket, insert the fanatic, but I'm still going to have the same base layer. I'm still going to have the same active insulation. I think that somebody could start say, hunting in August antelope, and I I do this quite often uh, because I grew up in Ohio, so I love to whitetail hunt, but I could start hunting in August for antelope when it's 100 degrees outside and end my season in December in a Midwest tree stand, and I probably have 10 to 12 total pieces of clothing that got me to span all those months and all those different hunting disciplines. So it's not like you have eight pieces for big game and eight pieces for waterfowl, and you have you know, uh, twenty-four pieces at the end. Base layer is base layer. Active mid, mid layer insulations is the same. It's really at outerwear. Do I need do I need squ- soft and quiet? Do I need uh, waterproof and durable? Say for the waterfowl hunter, uh, you know, do I need lightweight and and water resistant for for my big game hunting? Really, it's that part we put on the outside that's really going to I I would say bring the specialization or or more specialization you know pattern aside all those things but oftentimes I'm not hunting in in a base layer where the you know the pattern is
0: all that important so yeah Yeah. I I think there's commonalities for sure yeah no I hear what you're saying like you said some of these things are going to work across systems but right. you do need a specialized piece. You may not need an entirely new system, but you are gonna need some specialized pieces to complete for that system for different yeah, applications. You don't want to go walking through an Alabama pine thicket in a puffy jacket. I can tell you that. No,
2: I don't think so. No.
3: <laughs> no, but but let's be honest. I, I I don't I just met you guys, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say we're all gear geeks. Like oh, we yeah. all love gear, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, I just tell people listen, over time. The more years you do it and the more diverse your hunting activities, like the more gear you're going to acquire, you know, and and then you can start to get really hyper-specialized. The thing that I think is difficult for somebody starting out, learning to hunt or or buying into technical clothing is it's overwhelming and there's so much stuff and we need to help them boil it down to the basics and go, listen, you don't need a new base layer for every hunting discipline. You don't need a new insulation layer for every hunting discipline and that you can get away, not get away with, use, utilize eight to 10 pieces and have this awesome experience. And over time you're going to end up having a whole garage full of stuff. And quite frankly, that's fun too.
2: (laughs) That's right. That's not a bad problem to have. That's not a bad problem to have. No, definitely not.
0: It's super nice to be out in the field and, just be totally comfortable and just be able to focus on the hunt. You know, I yeah. mean, you're not worried about being, I mean, it's, it's something special really about being out there in really awful conditions. I mean, truly, I mean, sub freezing, you know, you're like, I won and this you're one. like I didn't get cold. Yeah, won this you one. One. You know, I didn't I get just cold. enjoy this being out here. i tell you where I struggle, John, is I've got most of the pieces that you're talking about of the, of the systems because I've acquired them over time and for different purposes where I struggle a lot of times is knowing which ones I need to take today. For example, let's say I'm going to go whitetail hunt and it's going to be 45 degrees and the wind's blowing 15 miles an hour. And it's a lot of times 80% humidity here in the the South. You know, I'm I'm looking at that and I'm like, all right, I don't know exactly. I end up a lot of times taking layers I don't need, which is not the end of the world, or I overdress or underdress. I've kind of learned over the years, like what works for me and what my body can handle. Do you have any rules of thumb or, or can people look for that kind of information to say like, all right, most of the time where I hunt, these are the temps and these are the conditions. I need to be prepared for that. You know, using your example, like out West antelope season, early antelope season, you know, you kind of know what the temps, the range might be and what the wind might be and the humidity. Do you have any rules of thumb to kind of make sure you got what you need for that day or what do you do? Yeah, it's a a good question. It's a little
3: nuanced. So I would say base layer is base layer. So you're always going to have base layer on. Again, wool or synthetic, it really doesn't matter. I think that's a given. I think some of the things that I always default to, again, understanding how the body loses heat is I'm always going to default to something. In your example, you said windy. I'm always going to default to something that's going to help block the wind. And the reason is, especially when you're in a tree stand, we're not able to move around, do jumping jacks, all these things to create a lot of body heat. So we want to be super stingy with it, like I said. Even a slight breeze up in a tree stand is going to quickly strip body heat away as it radiates away from our body. Mm -hmm. So I always have some type of wind barrier in my pack, doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be laying in a frozen goose field in Montana, I could be hunting elk or hunting whitetail, it doesn't matter. I have something to block the wind because I understand that just a thin wind layer without, you know, that provides very little bulk can help me stay warm and focused. So that's that's definitely one. The other one that I always default to is some type of static insulation piece. So the puffy jacket, something along those lines that can take a lot of different forms, depending on if I'm in a tree stand or in the mountains, but in the mountains, that becomes critical potentially to survival. If I get stuck out overnight, I know that that's going to be the most efficient way to trap my body heat and keep me warm. In a tree stand, I also know that that's gonna be the most efficient way I can trap that body heat when I'm stationary trying to trying to let you know a whitetail walk by very closely. The other thing we haven't talked about is accessories. And so it doesn't matter what time of year or what I'm doing, some type of beanie on your head, some type of insulated headwear, I think is absolutely critical. We can be completely bundled up in all this great clothing we've been talking about. But if we don't do what I call cap the chimney, all that heat that we bundled up on our body is just going to radiate right out the top of our head and Mm -hmm. we're still going to be cold. And I think a beanie, listen, hoods are great, and I'm not discounting a hood, but a hood is secondary to me to the beanie, just because it fits more snug, and then you can apply hoods. So a base layer, some type of wind layer, and some type of static insulation layer, to me, are the three that I always take, no matter what I'm doing, where I'm doing it, doesn't matter the time of year. That puffy jacket may be a little lighter in the, in the warmer temps than it is in colder temps, but I still have that type of static insulation piece. To take with me because i'm i know i'm i'm probably gonna have to try to solve the same the same issues no matter what i'm doing
0: yeah i think that's great advice i think you're talking about the beanie my thing is a net gator like for sure oh they're they're great Like i I don't i don't go out without a net gator almost same i always have one of my pack yeah it's it's just like it's amazing how much like you said i think it's kind of the same concepts not on top of your head but it is kind of capping the chimney so to speak in the top that top layer and man i i just it's almost like a I feel like it's like a 10 degree temp change yeah. And, yeah. and you're talking about that wind layer we do a lot of fishing as well and i always tell people when we're out on the water dress like it's going to be 15 degrees colder than whatever that temperature says it's going to be mm-hmm. because when that wind starts whipping around you and you're totally exposed it's the felt temperature is a lot colder and it doesn't matter if the winds blowing yeah. or not you know you're running the boat all that like just dress just dress like it's going to be 10 to 15 degrees colder and that makes total sense. Uh, you were talking about some new some new garments, and uh, it's been really cool to watch the technology in clothing progress. Just in just like we're talking about in our lifetime, is there anything new with you guys this year? Y'all y'all playing around with any new materials or any new any new systems? Uh,
3: I'm trying to think. So this year, so 2022, we came out with this this ambient active insulation piece. The last few years. Really where I think at least I've seen some of the bigger improvements technology-wise in clothing is really in insulation. I mean, let's be honest, none of us like to be cold, right? And right right after cold is nobody likes to be wet. Laminates, to me, rain gear, have, maybe they've kind of plateaued out. But I think insulations are definitely something that brands we buy insulations from, like like a Primaloft, they're continuing to push that Kind of that technology barrier. We came out with something called Aerolite two years ago, which was, you know, Primaloft calls it a cross core, but basically it's, it's an infusion of little balls of air within the actual strands that that are woven together to make up this in, this static insulation. Crazy, crazy stuff. You can't even see it unless it's under a microscope. But but essentially, what mm-hmm. it does is it traps air to allow you to trap more air via body heat, and so it resists compression and all these different things. That's really where we've seen some of the advancements, some of the biggest advancements. I think after that, it's some of the base layer stuff. You know, one of you mentioned putting wool on and sometimes it feels scratchy and and itchy. The industry has been able to refine down the quality of wool. So I got here eight years ago and it was like 19.5 micron was like the finest wool you could get for outdoor pursuits. It was still durable, et cetera. You know, that, now that's down to 17.5 micron. They're figuring out different ways to weave and plate to provide more durability and things like that. I'll say concern that I have just as a general statement and not just for the hunting industry, but just all of us in the entire outdoor industry who, who go outside is that this technology comes with a price. And that cost that a brand incurs, it has to transfer over to the consumer and unless it's either really noticeable so the consumer really sees and feels and experiences the value and or it's it's explained very well so that the consumer understands what they're getting in that value, we're really starting to split hairs with some of this stuff. And I, I'm joking to a point, but it's like there's certain things that we could build that the world's not ready for. And really what I mean by that is the technology is so expensive and it would take a you know, a marketing campaign to, you know, provide all the benefits that we're just, we're just not ready to release it to the world, right? So I think the biggest thing is kind of what we're talking about here on this podcast, which is why I was so excited to come on. It's like, there's so much awesome stuff in the market. Pick a brand. Obviously, I want you to buy Sika, but it doesn't matter. Pick a brand. But I think what's critically important is that people understand the, the, the basic principles about how to put a system together and then modify that and continue to tweak and experiment and try things to get the most performance they can. Because I, I think that a lot of people, they're investing the money, but they're not actually getting all the performance out of that investment. So this kind of funny analogy, at least I think it's funny, that I like to talk about is that you know your son turns 16, and he's just been dying to finally get in your Corvette and drive it. And so he gets in and you're sitting in the passenger seat and he grinds that thing into third gear and he's going 60 miles an hour and he is having the absolute time of his life. He's never been anything in anything so cool and so performance oriented. Right. And he's like, oh, wow, like this is awesome. And I, you say, pull over. Now, let me get in the driver's seat and you get in the driver's seat and you run up through six gear smoothly and you go 120 miles an hour. And he's like, I didn't even know this was possible. I didn't even know this this existed. That's what technical clothing systems are. But I still think most people are in third or fourth gear. And mm-hmm. the reality is there's a sixth gear to it. And I did this, it was something we brought from the military, but I, I'll at least take credit bringing it into hunting. I did this video with Eastman's hunting journal years ago where I had all my clothes on and I got in a frozen icy stream in Wyoming in December and then got out And it's a whole process, but I got out, I set up a tent, I got my sleeping bag, I fed myself, I was with another gentleman. An hour and a half later, we were completely dry, we packed up our stuff and we walked away. Hmm. That's what a modern technical clothing system and a proper layering system can do for somebody. I don't tell anybody they should go do that, but my point (laughs) is that that is the capability that these modern textiles and the way they're built into systems can really do for people. And so there's there's a lot of meat left on that bone that I think we all need to talk about as an industry to help people get the most bang for their buck.
0: Like you said, I mean, the possibility is there. but You have to you know how to use it properly. If you don't know how to use it. I mean, you can right. have a gun that, that shoots 2,000 yards minute of angle, but if you don't, I mean, it's only as good as you. So- yep. Like you said, I think if folks would go back and listen to the way you broke down the layering system, the eight pieces, ask and the yourself, function of each. do I have these things? Do I need to add these things to my system for, but it doesn't matter if they're listening and they're out West doing that or they're back East, Hunt Whitetail's like, do I have what I need? Do I have a piece that functions in each level? But also I think too, it's helpful to be able to kind of mix and match and play with Absolutely. what works for you. Like I'm, I'm a vest guy. I love vests. Like if I'm hiking, I don't want anything on my arms. I don't need it. I just, I've, I'm a vest guy. I've no people that are just, they look at me and they're like, that's stupid. Why do you, why do you have a jacket on with no arm, no sleeves? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. it works for me. I've yep. learned that over the years. Like I don't yep. need a sleeve to anything. So it, it, everybody's got to play with it. Find out what works for them. Kind of look at the different materials that the, you, you guys have a really cool website where you can go in and look at Here's what we recommend in the whitetail woods versus waterfowlers and out west. Is that where you recommend people go? Is is go to the website, kind of play play around with that? Do you guys have any resources you'd point them to? Get better educated on layering as a whole beyond what or we've done here system. today.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think we have something called the system builder uh, where you can type in, you know, what type of hunting discipline and what type of environment you think you'll go in and it's like four steps, but those four steps will give you, you know, kind of a complete holistic system. I think where people, again, just get a little wrapped around the axle is they think that that system that the computer kicks out can only be war- worn or used in those conditions. And the reality is there's there's really a broad temperature range or, you know, comfort range that, that it can be used in. You know, there's there's some other resources. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know, but, you know, I actually have a website of my own where it's all outdoor education. The, the, the entire intent is to, to help educate uh, and inspire people knowledge, knowledge from storms not knowledge from storms you know there, there's a few others out there I would say that don't be afraid to experiment don't be afraid to try don't be afraid to have a miserable day in a tree and go now I, I learned, learned something now right. I learned yeah. what what not to do I'll, ultimately that's probably how we all got to where we are is you go out and you you spend a, a few miserable days but uh you know I I think with so many people, new people coming into hunting everybody wants to kind of get up to speed and be running at this at this really high level and you know most of us started when we were younger and it's taken us years and so the other thing i tell people is just kind of have patience and enjoy the journey and it'll come and don't be afraid to wear a vest if you want to wear a vest and john barklow never mentioned a vest i'm wearing a vest right now right but (laughs) it all comes down to the person and what works for them and i think sometimes people are like oh well You know, I think this is wrong. And except for a few, really my only lesson or not my only, my only rule with any kind of technical clothing system, no matter what you're doing is don't put cotton into the system. And the only reason I say no, don't put cotton in is because all these fabrics, textiles, like we said, they don't absorb a lot of water. They dry really quick. Cotton doesn't. Cotton holds water. It doesn't dry quick. It's going to make you cold. It's going to chill you. It's going to drive you out of the tree stand. Just a quick story, years ago I was hunting in Ohio and we were in camp and a gentleman from Kentucky was there and he was really interested in Sika gear and they happened to sell some at this place I was at. And so he he bought a Stratus system. It's a kind of a fleece-lined windstopper outerwear jacket and pant. And so the next day he went out. I got back and you know, late morning, he was already back in camp. I said, "How did it go?" And he said, "I had a miserable experience. Your stuff sucks." You know, I got out of the tree stand at eight in the morning and I was kind of taken back and I said, whoa, okay, well, let's, you know, walk me through it. What, what happened? Well, long story short, it was my fault. He was new to technical clothing. What he did is he woke up that morning. He had a cotton t-shirt. He had cotton briefs on. He had a pair of jeans. He had a flannel shirt and he put this windstopper suit over top. He walked to this tree stand completely overheated. All those pieces of cotton got wet, climbed up into the tree stand. His body could not generate enough heat to shiver himself dry and dry that cotton clothing. He got driven down back to camp, and he blamed the piece of Sika gear. Really, he should have blamed me, but that was not thinking as as a holistic system, right? And so- I learned something. He learned something. Hopefully we can pass on that lesson, but it has to be kind of a holistic thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's no wrong answer as long as you don't do that.
0: Stay away from cotton, man. I, Understood. I can, I can echo that. Yep. <laughs> it's been no many days of, of frozen hands and frozen feet and and just shivering to death uh, due due to cotton, I think. I can't tell you the last time I've worn it in the woods, but I do, you know, want to go back to something you said, and you were talking about how this equipment has gotten expensive. And I would, I would actually flip that back and I would say there's, I can't tell you how many times I've been freezing my butt off that I would gladly paid whatever this stuff costs <laughs> to have it right now, you know, and to have that yeah. problem fixed and, yeah.
2: and to have the hours back for that hunt.
0: Have that back and spend more time in the field. Be more successful because you're spending more time in the field. And, and more comfortable. And, and I think we all know people who have tried to get their kids or their spouse into hunting. And yeah. the cold is what's driven them out of it. Yeah. And I look at it that way too. Is like this stuff's is an, an investment and you being able to be outside and be enjoying yourself. Certainly. I don't think it's expensive for that reason. I think if you're comparing it to what you wear every single day, yeah, it's more, more cost. But the value well, you, it brings in the field is... it's about it's it's a value
1: that's right i mean it's it's and you average out over the years it's going to last i mean that's i mean i was a guy who and again i've got multiple brands but sitcoms specifically i was one of those guys that was trying to to understand the value side of that when it trying to buy my first piece and um but after i did it it was pretty clear i mean uh, you know coupled with the warranty and the quality of construction and really the less is more approach you know because i like to things are boring I'm, I'm one of those guys that kind of get up and move you know shake things up a little bit let's go do something different or maybe i went duck hunting in the morning that was quick so now we're deer hunting and that less is more value to me out of out of sitka is is that you were talking about with being able to get more insulation out of smaller thinner pieces has been huge to me because i don't feel like the abominable snowman trying to walk around <laughs> you know ease around and hunt and uh So it's been, it's been huge. And, you know, that's the way I justified it to myself then is easy now, but you know, I'm going to have this for, you know, five to 10 years, average that out. That's for, for quality stuff.
2: That's, that's a great investment. Yep, Investment I think is the right word.
1: Yeah. That that's exactly the term that I
3: use for, for any of it is, is it is an investment. You know, I think if we love the activity enough, we want to, you know, we want to have fun, right? I mean, we're going out there to have fun. We want, we want to have success. We want to hang out with our buddies or families, And I think we also owe it, depending on what you're doing, you start coming out west, you start going to the mountains. That's right. You know, even the mountains are like, you know, Georgia or Pennsylvania, it's like you you owe it to your family to be safe as well, you know? And so if things happen, you want to make sure that whatever you're using is is going to work. And as we continue to expand our horizons as hunters and just people are moving around the country more than ever, um, you know, I just think that the thing you used to be able to get away with where you could, and listen, I love it, right, where you could walk 200 yards off the road, sit in a deer stand for two hours and walk back, that's great. You can get away with a lot. But when you start to do it more and more and you start to invest time traveling out of state or, you know, your deer club or whatever, like how much is it worth to you? And those investments, you know, we invest in rifles and boats and everything else. And I just think that none of those tools are going to work for us if we're not actually in the field to use them. So that's kind of where I think we're just kind of on, you know, kind of the heyday of this modern technical clothing system movement, and that's why you know, again, I was I was excited to come on and and talk about this stuff because I don't think we can talk about it enough
0: right now. Well, it's been fun, John. We've we've appreciated your insight in into all these you know different topics. But I, like I said, I think if folks go back and really dig into what you were talking about when you're talking about the eight system, there's a ton of value in in what you're saying there. And uh, man, I, I'm. I'm looking forward to getting back out, you know, because I got I know now <laughs> like some stuff that I didn't going into this, and I, I want to kind of test some pieces that I that I've got. And I think I could upgrade, and and some times here recently where I've I've been a little colder than I would like to have been. So, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today.
2: Yeah, we enjoyed it, John. Thank you. Yeah,
0: no, I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. I had a great time talking to you. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all, take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flippin' fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical seven-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com and Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting Alabamaagcredit.com. I know I took some stuff away today. Uh Butch, what was your big takeaway? Man, first of all, John's a wealth of knowledge and, and what a cool
2: story, him being a Navy diver and into special warfare and uh you know being boots on the ground there in Afghanistan and literally, you know. Testing and building the products that kept our troops safe and warm over there—that's super awesome.
0: Yeah, um, makes you makes you feel good about listening to his advice. Uh, yeah, if you if you're as, just going yeah, to sit in a so. deer stand, right? Right. If it's good enough for those
2: guys, I think we can. Uh, I think we can manage. Right. Yeah. Um Man, the main thing I wrote down was uh, manage moisture and regulate body heat. That's right. kind of seems the the name of the game. Like with all the
0: all of the fabrics throughout the you know from the base layer all the way out to the outerwear. Right. That's what it, I learned. Is each component of your system doing some correct, you know, functioning somewhat in that role. And yep. and that was what I liked, what he said, you know, was talking about systems. You know, you've got, if you go to their website and you look, they got the waterfowl system and the whitetail system and the Western system. And, you know, in, in today's day and age, you just don't know sometimes like, are you, is this just marketing or is this actually needed? And I really Do like I need what, all this? What, what he said about how there's a lot of pieces that are interchangeable between those systems and, and that's great, but. There is a reason why there's specialty pieces for each pursuit. And it's very true. I mean, you you go sit in a duck blind, you just got a different set of challenges than if you're hiking a mountain hunting elk or you're sitting in a, Insulated a, tree, a tree stand. Tree stand. Yeah, or sitting in a <laughs> yeah. shooting house. You know, so right. I like that you can mix and match and it's not so daunting for people that uh, are getting into it and want to build systems for what they want to do. And then, but also, you know, be able to have those things work if they want to go out West. Okay. I want to go do my elk hunt. I can take most of what I'm using in the white tool woods, but I am going to need to pick up a few more things. This one needs to be more lightweight, I'm not as concerned about sound. That was my big takeaway, focusing on that overall system for your pursuit. But you, Clint.
1: Really about what he mentioned about cotton, you know, keeping an eye, not just cotton in particular, but keeping an eye on the things that you're including in that, that may have screwed it up to start with, you know, you, you, you've got all the, your top two or three layers, maybe exactly what they need to be. But if you're, if your base isn't right, then you're just starting from behind and, and it's not going to work properly. Right. And I see that, you know, it's just like you said, on the outerwear side, if you, you're not going to wear puffy stuff inside a duck blind, that's going to absorb water, you know, the same way, same way you don't want to wear louder, waterproof stuff to go stalk on it. So right. it's, you know, all the way through, you just got to pay attention to those inputs because it can drastically affect the output.
0: Yeah. The system itself, you know, you got to focus back on that system. I guess you're going to have to get rid of your tidy whities.
1: No, they're, uh, I just, I've upgraded to the
0: striped silk. Yo, you all got, right. Mer- you got Merino wool tidy whities now. Oh yeah. 17 micron. Got no it. it. No it.
1: Yeah. Also, also have never thought about microns as much as I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it was fun. I think, uh, I think everybody that listens to this is going to be able to stay a little bit warmer this season. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros@landhunting.com. at That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Unlanding Show is brought to you by Rooftop Arms. Rooftop Arms specializes in custom firearms utilizing the highest end parts. Every firearm is hand assembled in the USA with a lifetime warranty. Visit RooftopArms.com today. And also Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at SouthernSeedFeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Built by sportsmen for sportsmen. MallardBay.com. Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77. Southside, Alabama, or give him a call at 256-442-2588. MB Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. Call Kevin today for more information or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And also Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.